Good morning, Sterling. Thank you, John, and the worship team. That was awesome. For those of you who were with us last week, you'll know that we have just gone into this beautiful section in the letter to the Philippians called Straining Towards the Goal. And Mark Wood uh, showed us how so many of uh, the, the passages that we now go into have running connotations, where we run well for Christ. And you can probably see Lizelle smiling with all the running analogies that are sure to follow with a passage like this. But it is a beautiful section that really calls from you as the Christian to pull all of your resources together to run well in the right direction towards the right person for the right reasons with an eternal perspective in mind. And as you find yourself in a culture that is not really running towards the right things, you'll find that it's tough. We get told that there are many other things that we should be running towards, right? We get told if you just had more money, then you would have more satisfaction, more joy. You'd be able to make all of your dreams become a reality, and then you would finally be happy. You could just buy your kids everything that they've been begging you for. Then they wouldn't become selfish little brats. They would become perfect. We know that that's not true. Sometimes we try and we, we shift it a bit and we think, man, in a place like South Africa, if I could just have the state-of-the-art security system, the best alarm, highest walls, then my family will be safe and I will be able to sleep well at night. And then we're reminded that you have to get into your car and leave your little fort and that actually we live in a world that is not always perfect and safe. Some of us then try to play the, the management game with God, where we might try and live a morally upright, religious lifestyle, where we go to church and we pray and we read our Bibles, we do all the right things, but not because we want to pursue Christ, because we want to earn enough God brownie points that we can say to Him, you now owe it to me to have a good and easy life. You owe it to me that my family members don't get sick and that we don't struggle with some of the really deep and dark things that we go through in life. And what Paul says to us is that actually, you are not your own. And that the goal that you should be running towards as a Christian is not to make yourself as comfortable and secure and happy down here on earth, but rather you should be running for an eternal perspective. Your soul goes on infinitely longer than your flesh and blood that you currently find yourself in. And so it needs to be running towards somebody who is also just as infinite, and his name is Jesus. And that is who we're going to be looking at running hard after today. Philippians chapter 3, verse 14 to 16. Paul says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. My first point for this morning, point number one, is eyes fixed forward on what really matters. You'll notice that in this uh, verse today, verse 14, which is what uh, point one is on, Paul uses the word goal. He doesn't say uh, the, the gift that you're running towards, because a gift would be something like your salvation. None of you can earn salvation. None of you are perfect. But Jesus Christ is, and so he's lived the perfect life, taken your sins upon his back, died on the cross, and then if we believe in Christ, we receive salvation as a free gift from him. But what, what Paul is speaking about here today is not speaking about your salvation. He's speaking about rewards in heaven that are eternal. And so he says it is your goal. It is reward. It is being publicly honored in heaven before all Christians from all places and all times. 
by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And so he says, in light of that, you run well, Christian. He's busy referring to a parable that Jesus tells where he says that there's going to be this massive feast. And again, all Christians from all times are going to be at this feast and Christ himself. And there are going to be one or two people that honor themselves really highly by going and trying to take a seat really close to Jesus. And in dishonor and disgrace, Jesus will look at some people and say, friend, won't you please get up and move a bit further away? Give up your seat to somebody that is more noble than you. And in dishonor and disgrace, the person will have to get up and do that. But what Paul is referring to here is the upward call of Christ. Where what Jesus also mentions is that there are going to be some people who sit on the outskirts. And when Jesus comes by and he sees them, you'll say, oh, friend, I remember how obedient you were to me. I remember our close walk that we had. And so actually, come closer. Come closer to where I am in this feast. And Paul is telling us this now because how you live your life now, here, affects what happens on that day. When that feast is happening, you cannot change the cards once you find yourself there. But my friend, you can change them now by being obedient to Christ. He's speaking about something that we can do. And so we sometimes speak about salvation and it it encourages our hearts to be enlarged with worship and praise for Jesus. But we might struggle to know what do we now as Christians actually do. We're not earning salvation, we're earning rewards. And Paul's response to us is that you run. And you run with three things in mind. The first one is you run with faith, you run with endurance, and you run for the lasting honor that only Jesus Christ himself can give you. The first one is that you run with faith. To run with faith means that you have faith that there is a finish line and that God will richly reward those who run effectively for him. Running with faith would look like this. If you were to think of us all trying to second and help somebody who's running a long race and we, we sort of perch ourselves halfway in the race and we realize people are coming past left and right and, and the person that we're seconding is nowhere to be seen. <laughs> and so we sort of go back towards where the start of the race is and we see them just sort of camping out at one of the water and coke stands having the best time having lots of water having lots of coke relaxing and we'd look at this person and think you're sort of an idiot like you don't understand what this is all about there is a finish line and there is a time to get <laughs> and you want to do your best go brag to your mates but there's a better honor that christ is going to give to you By faith, you know that there is a finish line. If any of you have ever run a race, you know that there is a finish line at the end of this thing. And when you cross it, you will be so happy, you'll get your time. But so often in the race of life, because it is so long, we forget that we are running for Christ. And we also take our place at those stands of comfort and security. And we start to pat ourselves on the back and we think that actually it's all done. And now we're just waiting for Christ to come and take us home. And Jesus says, no. You run this race with faith. You know that I see everything and I richly reward those who run well for me. You run it properly. The next thing that we we make sure that we run with is we run with endurance. The race of life is long. And uh, my my mom is a brilliant runner. She is a legend in her own right. And she has run a race called the Washi five times. Now, some of you might be, somebody there definitely knows what the Washi is. Um, (laughs) Madala, was that you? Of course it was. He says, yo, you're going to find out why. You've all heard of the two oceans? Very long, beautiful marathon, 56 kilometers. Quite long, right? 
You've heard of the Comrades Marathon, Ultra Marathon, about 89 kilometers. The Washi is longer than the two oceans and the Comrades Marathon combined. It is 160 kilometers. Now, yes, you must have a few screws slightly loose to think about going and attempting this. They go and they drop you off in Port Alford. You do one or two loops, and then you run from Port Alford back to East London. My mom has done this five times. And on this race, once or twice, I remember when I was 12 years old, she did one of them. And I told my mom just before the race, I said, Mom, you can rest when you cross the finish line. <laughs> and it was one of the toughest races that she had that year. She hurt part of her ankle. There were muscle uh, problems down there. And she said she remembers, though, seeing my little 12-year-old face going, Mom, you can rest when you cross that finish line. <laughs> And Christian, I need to remind you, you can rest when you cross that finish line. We already rest in our works for salvation because Christ has perfectly done the works that we might be saved. But your works for Christ that you've now been saved for, give yourself fully to them. Give yourself fully to them. We run with endurance. Next, we run for the lasting honor that only Christ can give us. And my, my mom who ran all the, the comrades and the two oceans and the washi and all of those things, she used to have loads of these medals and trophies all over the show. But I, let me tell you, after she had stopped running for about 10 years, those trophies and those medals did not mean much to her. And she ended up giving away a lot of them and saying, well, you know, they're great, but they just gather dust. And I don't actually care as much about the trophies as I used to. The accolades and the huge reward seems to be when you receive it in front of everybody. And so she ended up giving away most of them. She might have held on to one or two washi trophies. But other than that, they are gone. Uh, I sometimes watch a chess streamer called Eric Rosen. And he has essentially given his whole life to become a brilliant chess player. And in one of his streams, the guys who are busy watching comment on his streams. And they say, are those all of your chess trophies in the background? And he looks at the background. Sure enough, there are two shelves stacked with trophies and medals. And he says... Yeah, they are. If any of you want any of them, just let me know. I'll send them to you for free. This is a person who spent pretty much his whole life working towards this. And he goes, actually, I don't need this. Now, that is not the lasting honor that Christ gives to those who run effectively for him. In fact, there is these two beautiful verses from Daniel that sit at the back of my mind. I love them. This is what he says. Speaking about that final day when people are raised and either go to heaven or hell for all of eternity. This is what he says. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. And those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. See, those who live for Christ and take seriously his commands, it'll be immediately apparent who those people were in heaven. See, when you think about those who are wise, those who know Christ and those who make Christ known to others is what he's speaking about here. And so if we just take the Great Commission seriously, if we look at evangelism, that is turning many to righteousness, God honors that massively. He says, man, for some people it's going to be like when you walk outside and you look at that night sky and you go, man, compared to the dark sky around it, these stars are shining brightly compared to everything else there. Now, you and I, we don't want to be like those people that maybe look a little bit like an undercharged magneto light. 
we want to look like stars shining brightly for Christ forever and ever. And that leads me to my second point for this morning. Point number two, maturity changes our thinking and doing. Verse 15 says, let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. You see, what Paul is getting at here are two things primarily. The one is that you as a Christian are not supposed to just know what truth is, but you're supposed to know how to respond to that truth. So earlier in Philippians, he's already spoken to us, and he said, hey, one day you will stand before the king of all glory. And now this is how you respond to it. You run well. But secondly, what Paul is getting at in this verse is that the example that he sets for us, what he's telling us, is not just for the, the apostles, it's not for the super Christians, it's not just for pastors, missionaries, evangelists. He says it is for all of us. It is written to the church. And so just as last week when Mark was unpacking his text, he said, when Paul gets to this point and he says, brothers, he is leading the pack still, but he is with us on our level saying, brothers, let us give ourselves fully to this. And in our text today, we see the exact same sort of language used. He says, let those of us who are mature think this way. So you can know for sure that God's will for you if you're a Christian, if you believe in Christ, is that you would mature in your walk with Him. God does not want anybody not maturing, not growing in Him. And I hope this doesn't scar any of you, but if you were to think of a, a beautiful little newborn baby busy being breastfed, you'd say, that's beautiful, that's wonderful, that's lovely. But if you were to see a 19-year-old still busy being breastfed, you would start going, there's something wrong there's something unnatural. It shouldn't be like that, right? And yet somehow, sometimes what happens is we have been Christians for so long and there is no growth and we do not move off milk. We hold on to the simple things and God is calling you and I today to mature in our walk with Christ. What does it look like? Maturity looks like highly valuing those things which last for all of eternity, not being like an infant where whatever is in front of you right now is just everything that exists, but rather going, man, one day when I stand before Jesus, will he say, well done, good and faithful servant, son, daughter. That is the moment that we are living for here. Andrew Wilson, who's probably the greatest theologian alive today, uh, tells a story of what he used to do to his younger sister. We, she was about five years younger than him, and he was probably unsaved when he did this. As I mentioned that, I know that all of you know that this is going to be a good story. And <laughs> what happens is he used to play Monopoly with his younger sister. And he would convince his younger sister, hey, if I give you 500 pounds in Monopoly the game, will you give me just one pound, but a real one? And the little sister thinks, man, this is the greatest deal ever. I'm going to get to beat my older brother at Monopoly. That is just awesome. And Andrew Wilson goes, well, I mean, I'm the real winner here because guess what? One day, Monopoly just gets packed up and it goes back into the drawer. I'm going to take my real pound and I'm going to go to a real shop. <laughs> I'm going to buy real food, real clothes, real games. And that is essentially what we do down here at Earth, on Earth, is we, this is like a Monopoly game. You know, your money now is used to almost purchase rewards in heaven. It is used, your time now is used to be faithful to Christ because one day all of this gets packed up into a box. Even a lot of our bodies are probably going to go into a box 
and they are going to disappear. But the Lord will richly reward those who have given themselves to his work completely. One of the things that I noticed that we sometimes struggle with in maturing in our walk with Christ, it is an immaturity, is that our insecurity sometimes stops us from running effectively for God. And what I mean by that is you sometimes think, well, I don't know if I'm doing the right thing. And so I'll do nothing, right? And so you might be uh, wondering, some of the questions that might come to mind for you are like this. What if I'm doing the wrong thing? What if this isn't the will of God for my life? And so we sit back. And Christian, you can take such comfort this morning in knowing that our God is a living God. That He speaks, He guides, He leads. And what we see from our verse today is that God will reveal that also to you. Isn't that comforting? Knowing that if you are going the wrong direction, your living, loving, heavenly Father would look at your life and say, I will intervene here. I will send people along your path. I will speak to you through my words. And I will help make sure that it is revealed to you what my will is to you. A great example of this is King David in the Old Testament. You see that he has it in his heart to build a temple for the Lord. And so he even approaches a prophet and he says, hey, I really want to do this. Is it okay if I build a house for the Lord? The prophet looks at him and goes, clearly the Lord is with you. Do it. Do whatever's in your heart. And that night, God speaks to the prophet again. He says, buddy, you got it wrong. Go back to King David the next morning and you tell him he's got too much blood on his hands. He may not build this temple for me. What David does next is he doesn't sit back and go, well, then I'm going to do nothing. He says, well, if that's the case, I'm going to stockpile so many resources so that the moment my son Solomon takes the throne, he has got all the resources he needs to build this temple. And that is what he does. I know in my own life as well, I was two exams away from becoming a commercial pilot. And I thought, man, it must be God's will for me now to become a Christian pilot. <laughs> and that was not God's will. He called me, he intervened, he revealed his will to me that rather he wants me to quit my course and come into full-time ministry. And it has been a phenomenal ride. Know for sure that if you are on the wrong path, God will reveal it to you. Sometimes we have questions in our hearts that might sound like, a bit like this. Does God see what I'm going through at the moment? Is God aware of my suffering or how my plans don't seem to be coming together? And I have to be very honest and loving with you this morning that if you are struggling with knowing, does God see what I'm going through? You are going to struggle to really believe that God will see and also reveal to you what direction you should go in. What we need to get properly into our hearts this morning is knowing that when there's a bit of a disparity, when there's a, a bit of, does he really understand me? It's actually us going, we are the ones that don't properly understand and see what God is doing in our life. Often through pain and suffering, we sometimes feel like the Lord has gone silent. But the problem is not that the Lord doesn't speak. The problem is not that the Lord is not intimately involved in every aspect of your life. The problem is that we do not perceive all the ways that the Lord speaks to us. It reminds me of a, a hunting dog that my uncle has called Monty, or had. And um, Monty was a little white dog about this big, this high, wiry white fur, tough as nails. It was as elusive as a cockroach, had more lives than a cat. And Monty at one stage had gone hunting 
and been sent down a warthog hole, and he came out of that warthog hole on the top of the warthog. They had to take Monty off to the vet, uh, fix him up, bring him back. Monty tried to run through a fence, but pieces of the wire were sort of hanging out there. I got stuck, had to cut out part of the fence, take Monty and fence to the vet, patch him up, bring him back. He was phenomenal. He got driven over by a tractor. He, I'm sure the, the local vet knew Monty by name, and if this was a human being, he probably would have received multiple Purple Hearts. In his old age, Monty began to go almost completely deaf, and he was blind in his one eye. But this didn't stop Monty from his usual habit of sleeping underneath vehicles, because there's good shade there. And so he would go to sleep and not hear when the vehicle gets turned on. And so about four or five times, Monty had a truck going over him as well. The reason why I'm telling you all of this is I remember a day when I saw Monty in my uncle's yard, and we had just filled up his food dish with some food. He had water there. And you look at him, you go, Monty! And he just looks into the distance, slightly phased in his own world. And I thought, is this dog even vaguely aware of the fact that I exist and that I'm trying to feed him? And what you have to realize this morning is that you and I are just like Monty. We are so unaware of the goodness of God as he gives us food, gives us water, looks out for us. But the problem is that we don't hear him, that we don't see him. And so really the onus is on us to say, Lord, would you please open the eyes of my heart, open the ears of my heart. I want to see you. I want to hear you. I want to know you intimately. I don't want to be like Monty. Psalm chapter 94 verse 9 says, He who planted the ear, does he not hear? And he who formed the eye, does he not see? The answer is yes, my friends. The Lord sees you. The Lord knows exactly what you are going through. But it is you and I that often struggle to perceive what God is doing in our life. And we need to pray that he would help to reveal us, to reveal to us what he's doing. My third and final point is hold firmly to what you have attained. And it is amazing to see just the way that Scripture flows so beautifully here. As Paul writes, he says, God will reveal to you areas of immaturity in your life, and as you work on those, he's going to reveal more areas of immaturity so that you continue to grow. But that might beg the, the question, what if I don't really perceive that God is teaching me or showing me new things and how else to grow? And there's a chance that maybe we are being like Monty and we can't quite perceive what he's doing and we need to pray for that. But the other opportunity here is actually that God may well have spoken to you, but you haven't done the last few things that he's asked you to do. And so why would God continue to reveal things to you if the last thing you did remains undone? Those of you who have children, you'll know that if you have, let's say, a little toddler, maybe let's say four or five years old, you give them four things to do, it's not going to get done, are they? You're going to get maybe two of those things done if you are lucky, and then the other two are just going to be completely undone. Some of you are probably looking at your husbands and wives and going, <laughs> I need to tell them things one by one as well to make sure that it actually gets done. That is the same way that we live in our relationship with God, is God looks at us and he says, hey, I need you to work on this area of your life. And then we go and we work on it. Once that is done, God's going to say, hey, there is this other area of your life that I feel like you need to work on. Hey, there's this area now. And what God expects and what Paul expects from believers here is that what you have already learned, 
you firmly grasp and you attain it. You carry on doing it. Verse 16 is so simple. It says, only let us hold true to what we have attained. You see, once you've taught a small child how to be potty trained, how to feed themselves and dress themselves, you don't expect that every two to five years you're going to have to reteach them how to do those things, right? You're going to expect that they continue to do those things with ever-increasing efficiency, and then afterwards, when they're older, when they have matured a bit more, you get to move on to some far greater things that you can do with your children. You can go and enjoy playing a sport with them, go for a run, speak to them about how school is, have deep conversations about life and God. And the same thing happens in our walk with God is once he has taught us how to feed ourselves on the word of God, <laughs> once he's taught us how to dress ourselves, probably in the armor of God, he wants to move on to far greater and deeper things with us. And to look back at your life and say, man, do I remember how sweet it was when my prayer life was really good? When I was just laying things before him and then continuing throughout the rest of the day, rejoicing, knowing that my heavenly father has that under control. And if that is the case, would I return to that place and go, it's not about forgetting how to pray well so that I can read scripture really efficiently. It's pulling both of those things together and saying, what I have attained in the Lord, I hold firmly to and move forward. Isaiah chapter 6 verse 3 puts it really beautifully. It says, let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. That is what we do in our walk with Christ as we say we do know him, we love him, we enjoy spending time with him, but we never reach a point as a Christian where we can say we know Jesus enough now and we don't want to keep on learning more and more about who he is. And so as I wrap up this morning, I want us to consider this teaching and consider this series of points through some questions. The first one is this. Are we running after what really matters in light of eternity? I'm not questioning your ability to run. I'm convinced that every person can run really well, but they don't always aim in the right direction. They don't always aim for things that are of eternal value. Maybe today is a day where we can slow down a bit and say, Lord, am I running towards those things that are of eternal significance? Next, are we mature in our thinking? Remember, maturity means not being like an infant where whatever is right in front of you right now is everything in your life. So if there's a painful situation, you know that your Redeemer lives and that He will redeem you and you will stand before Him one day and He will richly reward you for the way that you have suffered well through a tough time. Do we ask God to reveal any areas of immaturity within us? Or are we lukewarm and loving it? See, it's one thing for us to be like Monty and to realize it and to pray and say, Lord, please, I want to see you and hear you. It's another thing for us to realize that there is sin in our life, but actually we love it. We need to turn away from it and say, no, Lord, I want to grow in maturity here. I want to hear, I want to see, and I want to do here. And finally, do we continue to walk in the things that Christ has already taught us? See, walking with Christ is the greatest journey you will ever have here on earth. And you do it with him. If you try to do this all in your own strength, you will fail at every possible step. But the Lord wants to walk this with you. And he does not want to have to remind you of all the other things that you did well in the past. He wants to build on it and grow all the different disciplines that you have learned as you've walked with him. Let us pray.
Lord, I thank you so much for your word. <laughs> I thank you so much that your word points us towards you. Thank you for this beautiful church and that you are teaching us to walk and to run with you. Lord, we want to run effectively for you. We want to run with an eternal perspective. We want to run with faith and endurance. Lord, I pray that you would help us to perceive all of your goodness towards us. Lord, help us not to be crippled by insecurity, but to know that you reveal yourself to us. And you reveal your will to us. Lord, I pray for every person in this building that you would empower them to run effectively in the right direction for you. I ask this in your wonderful name. Amen. Guys, it's been a pleasure to be with you this morning. And there are uh, brownies at the back for those of you who are new. If you've been coming for about three or four weeks, I'm sure you can scrape a brownie. Uh, it'll be good. And then there is coffee and great fellowship waiting to be had outside. We'll see you again next week.